the next episode of Gig Ready is here. I know you're excited, but before we get started, let me remind you of just a few things. Number one, value. We want to provide value to you. So please tell us, email us, message us on Instagram, send us a DM, tell us how we're doing, tell us how we can help you. Let us know what you want to see and hear so that we can get better. Secondly, if this podcast has been valuable to you, share it with somebody, tell a friend, let them know what you're doing. Let them know what you're listening to because we are going to help as many people as we possibly can. I want to say thank you so much for the value that you provide each and every week as we supply more podcasts, more content, and more exciting things for you to look forward to. I thank you for your dedication. Thank you for all the hard work you put in each and every day to become a better event professional because this is the Gig Ready Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. Jordan Goodfellow here, gig ready, excited to have our newest guest, personal friend, known him for, gosh, almost 20 years now, Joe Mack, the owner and lighting designer at More Than Light based in Portland, Oregon. Um, man, it's been a long time. Uh, COVID, of course, has been really tough, but thanks for coming out. Thanks for taking some time to talk about auto shows and design. Um, today. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, it's been uh, far too long. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. Is this season two? Are we episode one, season two? Why not? Episode (laughs) episode one, season two. This is like the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, right? We're going to get into the nitty gritty of gig ready. (laughs) Exactly. We can do that. Um, It's uh, I haven't, I actually haven't even thought about episodes and and seasons and things like that. Cause like, it's kind of like back when we used to gig, if you remember that, um, you know, there were only three types of days. There was a show day, there was Christmas and Thanksgiving. And <laughs> <laughs> that was about it. Um, so it, it's been a, it's been a wild ride for 10 months and, um, you know, knowing Absolutely. that I think we're going to come out of this. Holy crap. We're there. I think that there's light at the other end of the tunnel. I was talking with some people just today that were saying they're starting to see some pretty good movement in, equipment being needed and gear moving places and things like that. So, um, you know, I well, I've got my first official gig booked in December of 2021. So, All so right. start, <clears throat> we're Good. working this year at some point. That, yeah, that's awesome. Actually a phone call I had yesterday turned into a quote for an led wall for a, a job that I didn't even know existed. So, I mean, it was a happenstance thing and I'm just thankful that something's happening. So it's good. Um, Absolutely. But uh, how, how are you doing mentally? Everybody, that's one thing I want to check in with everybody oh, yeah. and just see how they're doing. You know, we just got done with the holidays. That can be a tough time for folks. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just kind of the mental headspace. Where's everybody at? Uh, have you checked in on your friends lately? Did you check in and see do. if they had a good Christmas? Yeah, I try and check in with people as I remember. I will say that I'm not, I can, I'll be the first one to admit I'm not the bestest of friends in the whole wide world. And that like, if I get my head, I'm like, I'm like the horse, you know, you get the blinders on and you're like, I'm going this direction. That's what I'm doing. Um, And then I come up and I'm like, oh crap, I haven't talked to Joe Mack in like six months. Joe, we should do a podcast. Why not? Um, 
that that's just how it happens. But um, actually through the podcast, so this is episode 22, and um, I've had a really great time of getting to talk to people that I haven't talked to in sometimes years. And we sit down and we just go through stuff, talk about what's going on, talk about their, you know, their expertise, what they do, how they do it. Um, but then just spend some time catching up. And it's been really good to see that. Uh, I think overall, everybody, at least in my world, is in a pretty good space. Um, being a business owner myself, I fight the, that game every single day. Um, I'm in the midst of some reading some books and, you know, doing some other personal things that will help me to change my mindset and rotate what kind of the way I've been thinking about life and the way I've been thinking about business and work and whatnot for the last, I mean, the last 20 years, um, because I've realized that where I am now, you know, my mindset now is not going to get me where I need to go next. And that's one of the big things for me that the pandemic opened up was the fact that there are so many inefficiencies that I allowed the pace of the work that we did to cover up. You know, we were always moving so fast that it was like, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And now it's forced me to say, okay, you know, how am I going to deal with like the negative train of thought that my mind tries to push into my head every single day? You know, that, that downtrodden, that like, man, I crap, I didn't do that right. Oh, I suck at that. Oh, I shouldn't like that nonstop beating that tends to take place and how can I replace that with the mindset and the understanding that one we're here at 10 months we're still alive we're not dead there's still a roof over the head there's food on the table we are incredibly blessed and and we can move forward from here and we can grow and we can actually get better the farther we go out of this than ever it allowing it to be a regression so well that's that's exactly uh, where I'm at too you know it's been a a really challenging year. I had some health issues uh, for a, a bulk of the year, uh, starting in the summer, and I'm only just resolving them now. Um, but you know, things are things are getting better. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling healthier, and I'm on the path to a healthier um, body. Um, yeah. So, luckily, I had that time to to really address those issues head on and take the time to reevaluate what's important. Um, you know, it was a, it was a scary time. Didn't know, didn't know what was going to happen. And so, um, you know, on top of all of 2020 <laughs> as well, you know, yeah. everything in the news and everything you're reading and seeing, and, and I'm in the epicenter of, of all the protests, uh, throughout the summer. Um, you know, and everybody's like, is your house on fire? And it's like, no, that's like three city blocks. And that's about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So no, no, we don't have, we don't have people banging down our door. Um, and, uh, but it was, it's definitely a, a gut check, I think, um, all around, you know, just taking that time to really see what's important. And, and obviously, uh, you know, most of us find our family is important, our, you know, our relationships, uh, the, the relationships that we really want to um, embrace and, and, and take on to the next level. So yeah. I've, I've really, I've, I've almost forgot about work entirely throughout this um, because I was able to just focus on my family and focus on us being okay every day. Um, and then, and then we got to the summer and, you know, we tried to make it as fun as possible um, despite not, you know, not being able to go anywhere or do anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we still, we did, we did like family meditation every night, which was rad, you know, 
um, we, we set the alarm clock to go off on all of the Alexas in the house and beep, beep, beep. Okay. Stop what you're doing. Let's go meditate. We do that for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And it just kind of put a, put a, a really good mindset moving into the evening. And then we'd get, you know, good night's sleep and, and then yeah. start it all again. <clears throat> but, um, so that's, uh, that's how I've spent my year. <laughs> Dude, I love that's, we are incredibly fortunate and I know that there are a lot of our brothers and sisters that have had a much more difficult time than, um, than where we have been. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people that have thankfully been able to give and help and, and provide assistance to people who need it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of really great stuff that's come out of this. I know that music cares and live nation did a bunch of stuff and, um, you know, really to see some of those things spin up has also been great as people are working hard to yeah. um, find their way again and, and to see where we're going to go. Another thing that's really been fantastic is all the organizations that have popped up yeah. from, from this, whether, whether uh, it's a local organization. So like there's a Portland music organization that popped up and they've been a resource for information. There's uh, the live event industry of Oregon. Uh, a group popped up and, and I mean, they're just killing it. And it, it, you know, it's on Facebook and it's on Instagram and things like that. So you're able to get those, those resources and those tools. And, and, and if, as long as you're willing to ask for help, which is the hardest thing as a, as a proud human being uh, to do, um, as long as you're willing to ask for help, there's, there's people there for, uh, for you. And that's, that's been really a bright spot, I think, through all of this that gets, lost in the noise of chaos. <laughs> no, I agree. The live, I, I've seen like the live event coalition has been really strong in a lot of areas. They're just one of the many groups that have sprung up that have been working actually like in DC and advocating for our industry. I mean, we're sure. Michael Strickland and Bandit. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we noticed through all this, I think we knew it, but nobody ever thought of it was that like nobody really pays attention to us. Um, I mean, it's like the ultimate compliment in the grand scheme of things. If you think about it on the show, you don't want anybody to pay attention to the guys, you know, if they don't screw up, you know, it was a perfect show. Um, but now, you know, I think in some ways, because of that, it actually, I don't want to say hamstringed us, but it, it, we had to do a lot of makeup work very quickly because there's so many industries that do, focus on the lobbying they focus on the advocacy they focus on all those things but they they came out of this and said okay you know we know how to do all this and then we had to start figuring it out um you know guys like michael strickland who had the relationships up front and he just dove right in i mean i can't say enough about the 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 just the amount of effort and money and and movement he's worked to do just to get some of these things off the ground the save our stages and the you know making sure we get the the unemployment and the the second round of ppp and all of the things that that are probably going to be what helps keep you know up to 50% of the companies that exist in our industry even afloat um, you know and then being able to thrive coming out of this as we start to see more events come into Q1, end of Q1 and into Q2, I hope. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and um, it's, it's been uh, refreshing to see those leaders really step up and, and uh, do, their, do their part and bring us to the forefront of, of the consciousness of, of society, really. 
Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize how much the airline industry relies on us. The hotels rely on us. The restaurants at local venues uh, rely on us. And, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great big gap when we don't have the ability to, to meet together. So it's, it's great to see that, that people are, are noticing that. Now, I'm going to stick to this topic for just a minute, but coming out of kind of as we come out of this, something that I was, I've been talking with a couple people about over the last two days, what do you think the labor, labor market, labor situation is going to look like as we kind of emerge from the dark, if you will, um, coming out into Q2 and Q3? You know, I actually just listened to your podcast with Chris today (laughs) (laughs) about that very subject. And I really liked some of the points that he was bringing up about how uh, the 10 hour day may not be the right fit uh, coming out of this. It it might be a 12 or 14 hour day only because of the wash up and the social distancing that's going to be required and trucks being taking taking longer to, to come out. I'm a big fan of the show, by the way. Um, I've listened to all the podcasts and I love, I take something out of every guest. I've taken at least one nugget from every guest. And I, and That's so awesome. um, I think maybe you should do a, a recap, uh, you know, do like bundle in okay. all the kind of best points from each show. That's um, a great, that, but, that's uh, a great idea. But uh, as, as many have said, you know, coming back is going to be a fade, not a switch. Yeah. And, and I think that fade is going to be um, scary at first for a lot of folks because they're, they, you know, you're, you think you're going to go straight back to what we were doing before, and it's not going to be that. It's going to be different. Um, but I think the key to anybody being successful in this business is just to be flexible. You know, yeah. if 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 you can if you can zig to the changes of a a, a changing market, you know, you're always going to succeed. If you're stuck in your ways, you're gonna you're gonna drown. I mean, um, but I think I think once we get going, there's gonna be such a um, a large need for events to to just cleanse the 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 mental um, challenges that we've all dealt with, and I think we're gonna get hit like a tsunami. Yeah, I think we're gonna be overloaded with events. And, and uh, it's going to be hard to find those, those great people that you always want. So one of the things I'm looking to do over the coming months uh, before the summer is to initiate partnerships with other uh, firms, uh, other lighting design firms, other LDs out there that are freelancers and just line, you know, align ourselves together to have a plan so that when you get overloaded, you know, you've got somebody who's got your back and can take that, take the reins on a, sh- on a show. If you're, if you're completely slammed with, you know, yeah. four or five different shows. Yeah. So that's a great idea. I think that, uh, I think we're going to need some things like that. Cause I, I agree. I think there's going to be a giant labor shortage and a couple of the business owners I've talked to kind of see it coming down Broadway, but at the same time realize there's nothing that we can do about it. It's not like we can spin up new people immediately and say, Hey, we know this is coming back in October and we're going to have 30 shows that we need right now. <laughs> and we're, you, if you can know how to run an E2 and a D3 and an MA3, and then if you can do this and you're boom, um, <laughs> it's, 
unfortunately, I, I have a feeling that there's going to be some instances that are going to continue from pre pre COVID where it's the, Hey, we just need a butt in the seat and hope he can do the job. And, um, and my hope is that those that are still in the industry um, will one fight against that because that will just make a show suck, frankly. Right. And then, right. and, but also take the time. We still have time to learn and to train. Everybody went, you know, April, May, we're going crazy. Like there was 10,000 webinars a day of how to learn how to use every single thing that existed. Um, and now it's basically gone, gone completely away. Nobody's even looking at it anymore. And I think that helping, you know, taking the, the time that we have now and, and moving up to another level, whether that is, you know, there are still houses, gear houses that have gear that they'll let you come in and touch it. I mean, when you come in by yourself and you just do your thing, like you're in a warehouse all by yourself, why the heck not sit down with a lighting console or an E2 or a piece of gear and just mess with it. I I'm pretty sure, like, I know for myself, like I would let anybody come in, in Denver, you want to sit down with an E2, you want to sit down with an Aqualon, you want to sit down with this piece of gear, that piece of gear, have at it. I'll have my guy set it up, put it in a corner for you and uh, away you go. Um, Absolutely. So, so and you that, know, you know, that, that also shows those vendors, you know, who, who the, who the go-getters are, who the, who the people that really want to work yeah. um, are. I've always lived by that mindset. Um, uh, I heard a great story about Jay Leno once that uh, his very first job was at an auto dealership because he loved cars so much. He wanted to work at this auto dealership. So he, he kind of like kept calling, kept calling, kept calling, and they ignored him. So finally he just shows up with a bucket and sponges and rags and he starts washing cars. Huh. It took him about three days before somebody finally actually approached him and said like, who the hell are you? <laughs> and he says, hi, I'm Jay Leno. I'm your new car wash boy. <laughs> so he actually just showed up and they hired him on the spot and he became, he became their car wash guy. And wow. I love that. I love that mentality because if you, you know, if you are focused on something that you want to do, whether it's be a lighting designer, be a TD, being a stage manager, whatever, go do it. Don't let yeah. anybody tell you, you can't do it. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're motivated and you, you spend every day working towards that goal, if you're goal driven, you're going to get there. Yep. Come hell or high water, you're going to get there. Yeah. And so, so, you know, I've always lived by that model and, and anytime I needed to learn a console or whatever, I would just show up, you know, yeah. I, I, I remember I started here uh, in Portland at, at Hollywood lights, the, the lighting design firm I used to work with. And, um, the first week I was there, I didn't have any, I was only working part-time. So I only had a couple days work and I asked the, the shop manager, I said, Hey, I noticed you guys got those new Maxis consoles. Um, would it be okay if I came in next week, you know, and started working on them? And they looked at me kind of bug eyed, like, yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever. Well, I spent an entire, like two weeks of time off on my own up in a thing with headphones in my ears and. I taught myself the desk and like a week later they had a show and they were like, Hey, Oh wait, you're a programmer, right? Oh, let's, let's use you on this show and let's take the Maxis out. So it was the very first show we did it um, yeah. on that, on that desk. And so um, just, just showing the initiative really will always take you to a, a, another level um, because yeah. people want people with passion. Yep. 
if you're unmotivated, you're the last person that's going to get called. Correct. And if you're only motivated by what you can get out of it, I find that that is like the next level of someone who just, they're not the first person that's going to get called. They're not the person who's going to be the, the top of the list. Um, just money is going to be interesting coming out of this because there's been a lot of people that haven't been able to make money for the last bit of time. And, and, you know, some people are gonna say, well, I just got to lower my rate so that I can get something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really hope that that doesn't happen. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to try and take advantage of that. I've already had companies try and lowball me on stuff for shows. Um, you know, I had a guy come in that, uh, there was a $20,000 dance competition that was supposed to happen next month. And he came in and he was like, well, you know, these other people, they did it for, for 14,000. And, you know, it's because of COVID, you know, they just had to have the work. And I, and I said, I'm sorry, man, I want to, I can't, if I do that, the first time I do that, as much as you say, it's a one-time only, you're going to come back next time and ask for the same thing. And I just, I can't, we can't afford as an industry to do that. We can't drop it to the floor and then expect that somehow next time it's going to come back. Once you set precedent, precedent is set. And that's just the way it exactly. is. Yeah. And, um, yep. and we have to live by that. And I've turned stuff down. I mean, I tell people, I say, listen, you expect a level of service from me that is not run of the mill. It's not mundane. It's not the next big box alphabet letter that comes along. You expect the service where you call me and I pick up the phone. And I answer the phone and I answer your, and I answer the problem and I fix the problem on the phone. You don't wait for a callback. You don't wait for yeah. someone else to get back to you someday, you know, in 24 hours, but instead it just, it's done. Um, and, and that level of service requires a certain amount of financial commitment. And some people don't want that and that's okay. I'm not going to fault them for it, but I hope that coming out of this, people realize that the service is going to, is going to need to be to the next level for us to be able to continue and take this industry where I think it needs to go. Well, and I think you hit it right on the head by saying, you know, if you, if you lower your rates, you're setting a precedent that you are going to then have to dig yourself out of later. Yeah. And that's not, that's not a place any of us want to be in. You know um, I've always lived by the rule that you should know your worth and don't ever compromise on that worth to anyone. Yeah. Um, because you spent, you know, 10, 20, 30 years to get to this place of, you know, educated study and, and, you know, tons of work to get, to get to that position. And you don't want to give that away. No. Nope. The only time I ever find myself uh, doing that is if it's a large client that I do, you know, tons of shows for, and they come to me and say, Hey, this one is a low ball. Um, can you give me your buddy rate? You know, we'll fix it on the next one. Yeah. And so, so in that instance, you know, I'm able to, to still play and do, to do what I do at a high level, um, even though I may not be getting compensated in that, in that way, yeah. because, because I know it's paying for itself down the road. Yeah. And then that brings up the next part of what I've, I've talked to a couple of people right now, where it's, it's being a person of your word. And if you say you're going to do something like that, you say, we'll make it up on the next one, then that's what you actually do. Um, mm. I've had some very unfortunate conversations with very good friends who have been, uh, who've been steamrolled by other companies in the last six to eight months on commissions and other things that they were told and even put in writing that they were going to have. And then they were basically denied when it came time for the check to come due. 
Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that yeah, I get it. People are strapped for money and they're trying to figure out how to make this work. But at the same time, it's like your word is your bond. And you, if you say you're going to do something, regardless of how difficult it is, one, in, you should have upfront thought about the consequences of what you agreed to. And number two, um, if that's what you say you're going to do, then that's what you need to do. And, and I've been put in situations where I promised something and we had to deliver it even at, at my cost and my detriment. Um, and, and I hope coming out of this that a lot of the owners and a lot of the people who are the, the labor brokers and the people that work on this will do what they say. You know, they'll come out and they'll say, yes, this is what we're going to pay you or this is the agreement we're making and we're going to stand by this regardless. Um, you know, I think we've seen and I'm sure that we can all we all know the name of the company I'm thinking of, but they basically closed up shop and hosed a whole bunch of freelancers because they didn't want to pay any money out and left them all unpaid, closed it, started up a new business in, an, in another state under a completely different name and basically left, you know, left everybody high and dry. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm I could do that, too. I still have accounts payable sitting out there that I owe money to, to people. Um, but thankfully, a, I know I'm going to pay it off. That's just the way that I am. I'm not going to cut and run. I'm not going to declare bankruptcy, buy my gear from myself at pennies on the dollar and then start a new company. I mean, it's just, we're going to do the right thing, which is pay the debts that we owe, pay the things that we know we're going to pay. And it might take time because of cash flow and keeping people on staff, but I will stand by my word. And here I am, I'm putting it on audio. It's going to be out there on the interwebs now. People <laughs> tell it, Jordan, this is what you said. Um, there's no going back now. You are Nope, in- there's no going back. But you know what? I'd rather be held to my word and my feet put to the fire than ever be called a liar. Um, Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, it, it just, yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to rag on anybody specifically. <laughs> this isn't the forum to call them out, but just an encouragement. I think that people need to know that you stand by what you say you're going to do. And that you I think, think we have a caller on the line who wants his money. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I will. Yes, I did have a, I did have a freight company that wanted to send me to collections in April and I had to have a chat with them. And um, I was just honest with them. I said, listen, guys, this is where we are. And this again is where honesty comes in. Just have the conversation up front. And I said, listen, I said, you guys could send me to collections by the time collections is all said and done, I'm probably going to settle for 50 cents on the dollar. You're not going to get near what is owed to you right now. I want to make sure you get what is owed to you because I know that that's what I committed to. Work with me to figure this out and we will make this happen. It, it is going to take a little while. I know that you want your money. I get that. And we're going to do everything we can to get it to you. But at this moment, our hands are tied both from just a direct you know, mandate standpoint, like we have been mandated that we cannot make money in our primary capacity and we have to figure out what to do. And so now we're moving to figure out how to do that. We'll get it. We just need time. And so, you know, it just, it's what happens. So there you go. We're 26 and a half minutes in and we haven't (laughs) even yet talked about what we were going to talk about. (laughs) I told you my nickname growing up was shut up, Joe. So (laughs) no, we we could be here for six hours, (laughs) dude. It's all good. And that is why actually, when I do these things, I don't book, I specifically don't book anything after them so that I can just finish it out because I mean, that's what we're doing. I mean, we're not just creating some sort of scripted rehearsed thing that people can be entertained by. My goal is to help people actually be able to be better the next time they go to do a gig. 
the next time they go to do something else. Because uh, I am a firm believer that our, our best gig or our gig we're judged on was not the gig we did three years ago. It wasn't the big rock show that we did. It wasn't that tour that I did back in 2012 or 2013. It was the last gig that I did. And what was that- your last gig? What, what, what did you do just last? What was the last one? Man, I'd have to check my count. Oh, you know what? My last gig was in November. So my last gig was a projection mapping job that we did at a housewarming party in Atlanta. And we did you nail it. Oh, dude, we nailed it. It was amazing. Okay. They loved it. They were blown away. The content guys just completely went out of their way and just knocked it out of the park. Um, and it looked so good. I had my buddy Wesley Popham come in and he aligned the projectors and it was just, it was, it was outstanding. It was this huge, I mean, it was 130 feet wide by 40 feet tall front of a house. And uh, we lit the whole thing up and they just, it was dynamite. I couldn't have asked for a better gig. It was awesome. Awesome. So. My last gig, my last big gig was the Chicago Auto Show. And then, okay. uh, and then shutdown happened shortly thereafter. Got it. But, well, that's yeah. talking about auto shows. That's where, I mean, great segue, Joe. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> we're back on track. Um, you know, auto shows are a very unique um, beast. I can personally say I've never done one. I've never been a part of one. I was asked, in fact, in May of last year, I was said, hey, if the Detroit auto show happens later on this year, could we do a projection mapped dome? Yes, we can. And then, of course, everybody went radio silent and nothing happened. So, right. Um, right. you know, as a when, well, okay, I've never been to a car show. I really don't know what it does. So, why don't you give me a quick recap of like, what is, like, what is it? What's, what are you, what are they attempting to do there? Just kind of a quick 30,000 foot view. Of so, what- there are, there are about 53 auto shows uh, nationwide every year. Oh, wow. Um, there's basically one, maybe two in every state. Um, there's a, a shows, uh, a kit shows, B kit shows and C kit shows. Uh, the a kit shows are your majors, your, uh, LA auto show, your New York auto show, your Detroit, your Chicago. Um, and actually CES is quite, is growing as an auto show now, um, because of the, the, uh, auto, um, the, uh, AI of, of autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And so um, basically each manufacturer sets up a booth space and it can be, you know, a small space with a two or three cars, you know, a stand up, some information tables um, and, a, and a back room that they can take um, potential customers into the back and, and actually sell cars. Um, so if you asked me what I did, uh, what I do for auto shows is I'm a car salesman, but I don't wear like a leisure suit and smell like old spice. Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, but uh, the bigger manufacturers can have up to um, 30,000 square feet of booth space. Um, wow. So it's, it's like, it's like a parking lot of cars. And um, we, uh, it, the, the level of, uh, show depends on the attendees. The um, the most well attended show, from my understanding, is the Chicago Auto Show. The, that's the that has the most attendees. Yeah. Um, so uh, the brand I do Hyundai and Genesis. So Hyundai being the the consumer brand, and then the um, Genesis being the luxury brand of Hyundai. 
And so uh, I do two booths every year. Um, and we, our task is to not only light the cars, which is, you know, a no brainer, um, but is to light them in such a way that we give that uh, consumer, that attendee, an experience. Whether it's when they walk in the door, the first thing they see is my booth because I've lit it in such a way that it gets their attention. Um, and that could be something flashing, could be something, you know, just a, a subtle um, directional lighting. To, to get their attention, a sign might be lit. You might have a hanging sign that uh, would be over a car that's either won an award or whatever. Um, and it, it varies from, from venue to venue and show to show. But um, with each one, it's all about cars on the ground. You can get in, you can you know honk the horn, you can push all the buttons, you can test fit to see if the seat actually fits you if you bang your knee on the steering wheel or whatever. Huh. Um, you know, you can slam the doors and smell the tires or whatever, you, you know, whatever you're going to do um, to, to pick your car. So ultimately, we start out uh, for the press days. There's there's usually t uh, two days of press for the majors. And uh, there might be three, depending on on the show. Um, and that's when we we launch brand new cars. That's when they, you know, those concept cars that are worth millions of dollars or whatever. Um, and it's, you know, some guy coming up, talking about the car, talking about their direction that they're going in, their past sales, yada, yada, yada. And then flash, 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 play the video and reveal the car, camera, cameras clicking, 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 clicking. And they talk about the car a little bit more and then boom, you're done. The car gets completely covered by people taking close-up photos so that they can put it on, you know, whatever publication they're, they're representing. And, um, and then that's the end of the day. That's basically 15 minutes I just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts way, 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 way before that, months before for that little 15-minute window um, for the press. Um, and the booth is even before that. So we, we start the process from my, my standpoint as the booth designer, um, I get the call from the, uh, the booth uh, design firm. So it might be like Zarnowski or EWI or GPJ or one of those. And they get us a plot, a layout, you know, whatever. And then they give us um, maybe like a brand expectations uh, layout or um, talk us through some new colorway they really want to highlight, um, and they give us they give us a direction to to go, um, and it's up to me to make that vision that that brand vision that they've created uh, into reality. Um, so we'll we'll take uh, we'll take their car layout, and um, my first call after that is directly to the riggers because uh, rigging is like the most important thing for an auto show because um, there's a lot of logistical challenges for trucking, drayage, labor, lifts, power um, that, that often get overlooked and uh, can really burn you if you're not, if you're not careful. Yeah. 
Got it. So rigging's the most important. Remember, I mean, yes, especially from a drayage standpoint, rigging is also heavy, which <laughs> it can be uh, interesting on the pocketbook. Yes. Um, so they come to you, they're talking to you. How do you manage that project from start to finish? Like, how do you see, you know, from the moment you get that phone call, boom, you hang up the phone, what's your first thought? And then what do you, what, how do you progress from there and then manage that project all the way until you hit that hit send on the final invoice when, when it's done? So typically I actually get hired by the lighting vendor because the lighting vendor gets hired by the booth uh, designer. And then there's a brand, there might be a brand, uh, brand design firm that is managing the expectations. And then there's the auto manufacturer themselves. There's a lot of, a lot of cooks in the kitchen and, uh, and I have to answer to all of them really, um, in, in several ways, but, um, but ultimately I can talk to any one of them without, you know, any repercussions or, you know, yeah. any issues. So, so it's a, it's a very collaborative effort, which, which makes it um, fun. And I'm a people person. So, uh, so working with several ideas and, and concepts is, is always a, a, a good way to start. So we take that, we take that vision and I start putting pen to paper after I have confirmed the rigging points <laughs> and, I, and <laughs> you can, you can ask me later about my worst gig. And I'll tell you that. Perfect. <laughs> it starts. It starts with the rigging. <laughs> yes, it does. Agreed. It's so important. Um, and I will work with uh, my lighting vendor to find out um, a if I can get the fixtures that I want. Um, over the past five years, I've worked to get to an all LED rig because um, then you don't have burnouts. Yep. And the heat is less, and so you don't have fixture failure uh, because of that fact. And so. This uh, 2019 was the first year I had an all LED rig on both my rigs, which wow. was fantastic. So um, the uh, the guys at, at CT, uh, Chris Weslaskas and Ian Dobson um, and Matt Cochran are, are awesome. They, they actually went to Elation and had them develop a auto par uh, that's all LED engine and, and they're, they're, just great they're fantastic these wash um, cool. 575 wash pictures so okay saving you know saving on power saving on heat saving on you know tons of things um and and ultimately sustainable from an yeah. environmental span standpoint for sure just turn it on and let it run for twenty thousand hours and then, uh, that's you know, right maybe eventually it'll stop working well see i program on and off so oh, okay turn it off every day <laughs> Well, back in the day, back in the day when I first started, you know, we'd be, we'd have those auto pars that were all arc source and you'd let them burn for, a, for two months, you know, yep. because, because the last thing you want to do is have to restrike it, find out it doesn't come back on. And then you've got, it's going to cost you a boatload to get all the, the riggers and oh, for sure. lifts and things back in, on the floor. Yeah. It's like back so. before there were laser projectors and you'd leave, leave projectors on overnight. So you didn't get lens shift and you didn't get any of the issues that you'd have from the heat and everything else. So I, I get it. Uh, so, all right. So you got your, you got your vet, you're the vet, you're part of the vendor, I guess. So you're the lighting vendor team, you know, the fixtures you want, you've already talked to the riggers, you know, your, your points, you know, where it's going to go. Is this now where you say, okay, 
where am I putting everything so that I can properly light each one of these individual vehicles? Yeah. So car layout is really tricky because it always changes. <laughs> it, it can be really frustrating uh, at times because I, I know after version one, I'm going to be on version two in a matter of weeks because yeah. of, oh, no, we want, you know, several meetings happen and, oh, we want to put that car over here now and we're going to put that car over there. And so what I ultimately do is I build the rig without the trust to start. I put all the lights where they need to be to light the cars the way I'm supposed to. Um, and every, every brand is different. Some of them are really steep because they want to see the curves of the car. Yep. Um, some of them are really flat because they want it really bright and the color to pop back at you. Um, and so taking all of that into account, I have uh, templates uh, in Vectorworks based on those models, whatever, whatever uh, version they want. If, it, if they want real steep lighting, then I, I use that template and I put it on top of the car. I drop my lights where I need them. Um, and then, then I kind of step, take a step back after I've done that and figure out where I need to land the trusses ah. to be, to be the most effective of both motors and rigging and trusses. Uh, so, so that we're not, you know, wasting, uh, cause I've seen, I've seen uh, some auto show booths that like, there'll be like 200 feet of truss for one fixture at the end. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's really wasteful. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I, I try to be as efficient as possible when I'm designing it and always taking into account that it's always subject to change too. Yeah. So I, I'll try and build the trusses in such a way that um, even if they were to change them on me, I know I've got room to either slide the fixtures around or, or do whatever instead of having to completely redo all the rigging and everything. Um, got it. Because that, that does happen. <laughs> so do you, ah, crap, the question I had just flew out of my, flew out of my brain. Um, so, oh, does each car, so like Hyundai Sonata, Hyundai Elantra, does each one of those have a different brand manager and a different marketing team that like is coming to you saying, Hey, we want this car to look like this. No, it's their one. It's direction. usually the, yeah, it's, it's the same brand firm for both Hyundai and Genesis. And there might be a couple different people that, yeah. that might have an opinion on it. And, and, you know, I'm always willing and open to listen to, to whomever's uh, speaking to me. Cause again, half the time you don't know who some of these people are. And so you just have to assume they're the CEO and you say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah. And, uh, and, and try and figure out how, and then obviously you're going back to your initial client and say like, Hey, is this really a direction we want to go in? And they'll say, Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know that I've, I do a bunch of work for uh, well, pre pre pandemic did a whole bunch of work for Anheuser-Busch and they have all of their brands. And so every different type of beer has a completely different team. I mean, like yes. vastly different and everything that they want to do all at the same show is like, okay, these guys have this 45 minute rehearsal. These guys have this, these guys have this. And then they want everything to look completely different every single time. And there's yeah. not like one person directing it. My, my biggest client is an athletics company here in Portland. I can't name them, but uh, they're the, exactly the same way. They have a lot of brand managers that, that will uh, indicate at the 11th hour that it's time to make a change or that's not what we wanted. Or I did an entire show one time um, 
two days of programming, uh, you know, couple hundred sharpies, uh, and and uh. we got we were five minutes to doors, and I got told, okay, so we don't want to see anything but white and yellow. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So so we took we took uh, we did a lot of replace, record, replace, record, replace, record <laughs> to make that a reality um, in in uh, a matter of seconds. But uh, yeah, so so being married to the idea of a design is not the best option in my yeah. world. <laughs> uh, it's it's always always subject to change. So so again, being willing and able to be flexible and yeah. uh, and move on about your life is is the way to be. That's right. So. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. And on we go. <laughs> and on we go. I like it. Um, but uh, but they you know they also do give me a lot of creative freedom. They don't rarely get in my business unless it's something that really needs to be addressed. Because um, one of the you know um, the way an auto show works, the timeline after I gotten everything wrung out, I, d- I do all all patching and all that stuff um, in previs at home. Um, but once I'm on site. Uh, it's all about programming. Like it's all about making sure the rig works 100%. That's day one. Day two is prepping all your focus because for the, for the next three days, press is going to be in your way and, uh, and crates and like, there's no cars yet. So I, I literally focus air for two days (laughs) until, until the cars come in at the 11th hour, because press will be on site doing their thing. They reveal cars. I'm just handling the booth, all the properties for the booth and, and everything else. Uh, and, and then as soon as press is over, that's when the cars actually come in. Got it. So, which is also why working on auto shows is like being in a meat grinder because you go from this mornings, 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 and then you literally flip your schedule mid mid gig and you go nights, 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 doing all the changeovers yeah. as they as they're adding cars, as they're adding properties. Yeah, and um, it can be it can be pretty taxing on the the body and and uh, you know the sleep. But yeah, I usually give myself a week after to get over it. For sure, man. Wow. So you've got so you work out the trust, you make it economical, you make it look you know, as close as you can with the rigging and stuff. I mean, buildings, we know hard points. It's like, can I put something over there? No, you can't. There's nothing to put it on. Um, so then talk me through from there. So I guess from there, then final approval on a design that continues to change for the next two months. Um, (laughs) is that, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's usually just like, Oh, a new drawing came out and, and I'll spot it in the Dropbox or, the box and and import it in and then I wait for the phone call because a lot of times they'll do a drawing as a we want to see if this is the direction we want to go from where we were so you you can't always just assume that oh the new drawings in the box it's time to go you have to you have to make sure that that it's it's uh it's time to make changes because you know all of that is change order billable hours etc got it for sure okay <clears throat> So then talk me through after that. So you get a finalized design. Finally, things finally change, change, change. Hey, all right. This is what it's going to be to the best of our knowledge right now until it changes yeah. again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What is that like a week before you're leaving for prep? Is that? Oh, no, that's, 
That's like a month. That's okay. uh, because they have to usually get wet stamped by the building or okay. the show management um, rigging, you know, rigging drawings, weights, all that stuff has to be done yep. and approved well in advance. And I've only had a few instances where we've had to do a wet stamp very late in the game um, to, to get the thumbs up. Okay. So it's actually kind of nice because I basically worked through the load in, in my head two months before we even start. Yeah. And so that way, when, uh, if something were to pop up at load in and the ME calls me and says, Hey, you know, where you have that truss isn't going to work uh, because we always do a pre-rig, then the booth builders come in under us. Yep. So they, they pre-rig everything. We go up in the air and they, they, uh, the mass electricians and techs, they all disappear for a little while. And then, uh, and then the booth gets built in under it, uh, Got it. for a couple of weeks. And then, and then they come back right before I do and, uh, and get everything fired up. Got it. Okay. Um, so then you, so there's a month in there that includes, you know, ME time, getting everything right, patching console prep. Um, and then is it right into prep after that? Or is there, what else has happened in between in that time frame? Uh, I, I don't prep until they've left pre-rig. Got it. I don't, I don't prep my consoles until I have the actual patch from the MEs. Um, and, and so typically I actually do it a few days before I leave just in case when they fly back to get, you know, dimmer speech set up and they're patching everything in. Oh crap. We put the wrong, you know, whatever. Uh, and we had to readdress that one. I, I basically we catch all that at the end and yeah. and we're not wasting our time on site. Got it. Okay. So then you're patching your console, you head on site, I assume, grab your little USB stick and away you go. Um, yeah. I actually usually email it ahead, ahead of time. Oh, even uh, better. So hey that, guys, so that it's already in the desk before I show up. Got it. So it's so it's white glove, Joe. That's what we're, all right. I got gotcha. you. No. Ah. <laughs> Come on. Ah. Sorry, I had to. It. I just it, actually, you have to be white gloves on auto shows because of the union rules and things. Yeah. No, so, I get it. Hundred yeah. percent. Excuse me, son. I'll take care of that for you. No problem. I got yelled at for plugging in a space heater that I brought. <laughs> And okay. I ran the cable out of my dimmers and I got, I got yelled at that for it. I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I totally understand. Um, so you're getting, you fly on site, you're there. Um, I know it's been a year since we've done this, so it might be tough to remember. I had um, to actually look at plots to remember, <laughs> to remember some of the stuff. Um, what, like, oh, yeah. what is your day-to-day looking like when you get, when you get on site? What's the, what is that? It's a, it's a lot of checking in with the, the booth managers, the, the, the guys building the booth and um, just checking in on schedule because the schedule is constantly changing. Uh, you know, drayage and cars coming in is sometimes a bear because basically every booth is building at the same time and they all want their cars first. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, and, and having a clear space, having all of your crates out, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's a testament in patience and, and I yeah. guess I'm a glutton for punishment because I've done this for far too long, but, um, but yeah, I, it's, it's a lot of waiting around, but, um, the, the biggest thing that I could tell anybody that, you know, new to auto shows is to, 
to always be programming, always being updating, you know, anything that you can be working on um, to, to help yourself because those changeovers are brutal. You know, you're getting, you might be getting uh, 25 to 30 cars in one night and that's just one booth and you have to go do another one too. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, you're focusing up to 400 lights in one night in, in a, in a short amount of time from 12 to 6 AM or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. And so, so any properties that can be prepped, any, anything you can do to alleviate that, uh, the, the fine tuning stuff, um, is the, is the way to go. And you're just creating a set it and forget it look here there's nothing that's really active sometimes um there there are uh brand activations where they will um have like a game show to interact with people they'll they'll do you know every every hour on the hour and we've we've created um little uh remote triggers that they can the the host can actually fire the lights and video and audio and all that from one one uh, garage remote, actually. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, a little key fob. <laughs> that is um, rad. I love that. Yeah, and it's you know it's all ballyhoo and da 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 da, and and then it settles and then there's a turn off uh, button and they they it's pretty cool. It's it's fun. Is that like a DMX um, command that triggers a console or is that just independent or like a little it's, DMX? It's using. It's actually using the remote inputs on uh, on the MA. Okay. Um, yeah, you can just set the pins and then uh, go into remote inputs and assign a cue stack uh, to fire from that remote input. Oh, and cool! So anytime it sees go, it fires that cue list. Got and it. Then, so it just and keeps then it basic. You, yeah, it's really it's really a basic system. Okay, so, so it just fires go go go, and you script it every piece. Might, of well, it. no, it can be whatever. It can be an off command. It can be it can be whatever. I mean, you can trigger time code. You can trigger, we had it one time where it was like, it was triggering the D3 and the D3 was actually firing the lights and the audio. And then it was like this reverse engineered thing. Um, Yeah, it was pretty, pretty wizardly. That's cool. (laughs) So you've got this through, now you're into overnights. So you did the daytime kind of look-see, you see it. All right, here's where the car is going to be. I know it's going to look awesome. I've focused as best as I can. Boom, you flip, you go to overnights. Now you're actually like, you're getting cars. You're making yeah. sure that each car, you know, how, how are you focusing the lights? Cause they want, I mean, the car is as shiny as shiny can be. It's not like they're putting matte coats on the outside of a car anytime soon. For well, the most sometimes part. they're covered. <laughs> oh yeah. Sometimes you're focusing them while they're covered. And Got so it. you're just hoping that it looks great until that cover comes off. And then it's a quick update, you know, first thing in the morning. Okay. But yeah, they're they're because the the auto show environment. There's so much sawing and uh, sawdust and just toxic. Your your boogers are terrible at the end of an auto show. I'm not gonna sure. lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> um, and and so the cars get completely filthy every night, and so they're just constantly cleaning them. I feel really bad for the for the crew that has to do that every night. But um, yeah, and, and and I work around them. They work around me. They might be landing cars literally as I'm focusing on them just because, you know, we've only got two hours left before doors and wow. they just, they just landed the last car. Uh, and I still have to do the other booth. <laughs> yeah. So, um, thankfully, 
thankfully the, the, the other booth is small enough. It's usually about five cars, uh, sometimes seven. I'm able to, to kind of quickly jump through that one without an issue. Your yeah. super speed programming skills. Um, <laughs> it's actually my remote iPad. I, I do more programming on my iPad on another show than I do anything on the console. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So, so I just remote in and, and, uh, and control it. So that way I don't have to be at the desk or roll it around. Cause okay. you know, there's, there's a lot of hard floor that they don't want scratched and yeah. you know, run over with a, with a road case. So, okay. We try Got and, it. We try and, and you get the big simple. iPad with a lot of real estate. Uh, I actually have both. I have my remote is actually the iPad mini, but my, my iPad pro okay. I use, uh, as a sidecar or I use it for Photoshop stuff or whatever. Nice. Um, so, all right. So you get everything programmed, boom, you're hustling, hustling doors are in 10 minutes, save your last, you know, the last light on the last Hyundai Genesis vehicle is all set to go. You're happy with how it looks. Do you uh, turn to your Emmy and say peace and walk out the door or what, what did the next three days of auto show look like? Uh, again, it's, it's because it's still press the, those two days of press um, they might do standups with executives uh, you know, a, a, a news outlet wants to meet up with the executive talking about the latest, greatest car. And so uh, a lot of times they'll ask us to bring fixtures up to highlight either that car. Cause you know, again, in the press environment, we're not at public days. Public days is when we're all the cars are exactly where the plot said they were. Um, press is still, it's a little, you know, uh, <laughs> it's fluid it's, it's still fluid yeah things are things are always changing during press okay and so i don't always have to hang around too long but sometimes i have to i have to hang around for a little while just Got to it. make sure that that everybody's content okay are you guys um trying to think of the way to uh so press not the public do there, do you place fixtures? Like now that you've done a few years of this, was it like the first year, did you only place the fixtures you knew you would need and then realized, well, crap, I wish I'd have hung this thing here and this here and this here. And so now you like drop a couple of extra things around knowing with a relative anticipation that something is probably going to be put somewhere that you didn't expect it to be. Mm, no, uh, there's no cover your ass in auto shows because the budgets are, are uh, in such a way that you have to be um, pretty specific with your intents. Um, I create what's called a scope document um, okay. in the beginning of the process when as soon as they tell me how many cars, now I know how many cars and I can, assi I can assign how many fixtures per car. Um, if there's turntable cars, it might have more, it might have like 10 or 12 fixtures to it. Um, and, and so that scope document ends up being kind of the, the purpose document of each fixture. So that way, if, if anything needs to be cut, you know, if they say, Oh, we got to cut our budget by 10%. Well, my first, my first, you know, phrase coming out of my mouth is where do you want it dark? Because everything, I have no extra. I, I don't have I have uh, specific areas for floor washes. I mean, I, I focus, I do a focus chart for every fixture in my rig on an auto show because of that reason. So that if they say, oh, we need to cut 10% of the floor lights. Okay, well, it's gonna be really dark. 
you know, the just zooming them out isn't necessarily going to work. Yeah. Um, so, so where would you like it dark or is there a place where we can rob Peter to pay Paul um, and, and make, make it, make you happy? Cause ultimately that's the, that's yeah. the goal. Okay. And, and so the scope document is really um, my bread and butter as far as fighting for fixtures um, okay. and making, sh- making sure I have enough to do the job properly. Very cool. What, um, so all of this happens, show goes great. Everybody loves it. I mean, through the whole process, how are you staying organized? What are you using? Yes, you use iPads and you do email and, but I mean, there's a lot of details, a lot of, a lot of, you know, console files, show files, Vectorworks files, um, everything else that comes along with it. What do you, what are you doing to stay organized? Everything goes through email for, for my show, uh, show management. Um, it's, it's email. So I can, I can recall any show I've ever done. And if you said, you know, uh, what was Genesis like for 2016, I can go back and I can look through my emails very quickly and find out because uh, I have different, uh, folder systems for, for, uh, different aspects of the, you know, if it's rigging, if it's lighting based, if it's brand yeah. expectations based, I can go back through and, and find that very quickly. And then on the actual document side, I run everything through, through Dropbox in the exact same format. So I have a folder template that, that aligns everything that I'm seeing in the email is aligned with everything I'm seeing in my Dropbox. And it's just an assembly line because, you know, if um, uh, a, a little while back, we were doing 450 shows a year. So trying to track all of that was pretty crazy. Yeah. And so, so I found this, that using, using email and using the, um, using Dropbox in an assembly manner so that, that the first, the next thing that's on the plate is at the top of the list, basically. Um, I, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, do you set up automation so that like you get an email into your inbox and it is automatically disseminated into a folder? So then you're not sitting there saying, Oh, this goes in this folder. This goes in this folder. This goes in this folder. No, I just, I, I automatically do it now. I've done it for so long. Okay. As soon as I read it, I drop it in the folder it belongs in. Um, so that way I don't have to find it later. I'm a zero inbox guy. Like if my <laughs> inbox isn't at, isn't at close to zero, less than 25. Wow. I, I am, I am not happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I won't even tell you how many emails I have in my You inbox. have like 14,000 or something. <laughs> Take it up, buddy. Take it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I no, I can't. I can't live like that. The current number is two six six eight three. So, oh my God. <laughs> but here's what I will say. I will say this. So part of the reason why I've done that is because Outlook. <clears throat> I'm going to complain about Microsoft for a moment. Cert, the search function in Outlook is terrible in my as as I've come to discover, anyways. And unless I uh-huh. keep it in the inbox, I can't search for it. And so. I mean, just in my experience, that's the, that's the challenge that I've had. And that's why I've done what I've done. So, um, well, and that's just it is I, I haven't found an email system that will help me find things as fast as I need to. Yeah. And so, so that's why I created my system. Um, and also, uh, the, the name of my folders is always the month and the date of when the show is happening. So Ah. again, because it's because once I'm done with that show, I drop it into archives or whatever uh, for invoicing and things like that. 
and then it, the next show is always top of the list right yeah because oh, because cool. i've number based it and i do the exact same thing in dropbox so that way dropbox is always it's just moving up the ladder and you know yeah sometimes you're working on a show that's three months from now um and you have to kind of navigate yeah. through that but but at the end of the day uh i can make sure that both my email and my dropbox are, are matched up at any given time oh that's great no i like yeah. that idea that's awesome cool yeah um well, that answers, that is a very detailed and wonderful answer. I like that. Um, are there any other, any other project management or software solutions, Vectorworks, of course, for drawing, um, you know, Google Sheets, Google Sheets. I, I, yeah, I, I actually have a digital tracker uh, in Google Sheets. I, I run my, I used to run my schedule uh, for all the, all my employees uh, was on Google Sheets and that way everybody could get it on their phone. Yeah. And, and we didn't have to worry about. And so in real time, you can change stuff and it's automatically on their phone. So oh, nice. it, it was a pretty, pretty slick little system. Very cool. Um, auto shows are a very comprehensive, lots of pre-show, lots of planning, um, especially when you're walking into a place where, you know, like the Javits in New York, it costs more money to move a pallet from the loading dock to the front door than it does to ship it across the country from New York to LA. Um, planning is critical, which means that there's a lot of your time involved in that, in that process. How do you, how do you determine what you're going to charge for your time um, and then, you know, how did you, how has that, you know, how has that increased or changed over the years? You know, you started down at the bottom rung, you're the guy in the, in the, in the workroom on the Maxis, like learning how to use it. And now 20 years later, um, you know, you're doing auto shows in Chicago and New York and Detroit and LA, and you're, you're, you're a world renowned lighting designer that has toured <laughs> with, with bands all over the world. Um, you know, how, how do you, how have you made that? adjustment and how, and how do you change? Like, when do you decide, okay, it's time for me to up my rate and then, but how do you charge through the process too? Um, well, so, uh, I typically for designs, I do a design fee. Um, okay. and that's usually based on an estimate of hours. Okay. And, and then, um, anything that's change order or, uh, anything that needs to be ad adjusted is then, done in an hourly scale afterwards. Got it. And then, and then onsite is usually just day rates. And I don't really, I don't really mess around because I know with the switching around, you know, trying to figure out overtime would be impossible. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty much just day rates onsite, um, including the travel. Inflate and Inflate the day rates to make it worth it kind of deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I'm, I'm actually pretty <clears throat> fair with my rates. I I'm, I'm reasonable. Um, I, I like to call myself the scraps guy. I'm not always on those big shows, you know, the, the ones that you and John Featherstone do or Merck Herring, you know, I'm not, I'm not in Abu Dhabi lighting up uh, some palace or whatever. I, <laughs> I, I, I get the, the little shows that have a, not as great a budget and, and, you know, they only want an LD programmer so I can do both, you know, have to wear yeah. both hats. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I like to say that I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not, I'm not real high and I'm not real low. Um, Got it. And what, where did you decide, like, when do you decide, okay, it's time to change rates. It's time to go to the next level or is it just a, 
you I know? think your time is a premium, you know, you, and that's, that's one thing that people don't uh, often talk about in this business is that, that your, your time is valuable um, and your knowledge is valuable too. And so if, if you get to a point where, you know, you're turning down work all the time, yeah, it's time to raise your rates. Yep. You know, um, if, if you're not getting a lot of work, well, maybe your rate's a little high. Um, and find out from people, find out from clients if they're not calling you back, like, hey, uh, you know, I thought we did a pretty good job on that last show. Why didn't, you know, why didn't you call me back? And it might be, oh, yeah, your rates are really high. We just, you know, our, our clientele is, is, you know, two screens and a, and a uplight package. Yeah. Um, so, so we really can't afford you. would love to have you on site, you know, but at the end of the day, um, it's just not, it's just not in, a, in our, our fiscal budget. Yeah. Makes sense. Sounds great. I love that. Um, what are three things you need on every show? Doesn't matter. Auto show, rock show, corporate show, three things you need, no matter what. A good plan is okay. number one. First and yep. foremost, uh, I, I love being able to walk in to a venue and not worry um, whether it's, you know, worrying about what the crew is going to be like that day, whether it's, uh, you know, you didn't get a good night's sleep because your flight was delayed or whatever. Um, if I, if I've done my job properly, uh, I don't have to worry about the show. Yeah. I have to worry about the problems that come up. Um, and so, so with that, you know, that's, that's first and foremost is a good plan. Um, second, because I've done so much work on, on athletic apparel, um, a good pair of shoes. I have a lot of shoes. <laughs> I might have a problem, Jordan. I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I have probably 50 pairs of shoes. Um, and oh, wow. <laughs> All right. But, yes. All but, right. I'm going to, I'm going to lend you to my psychologist and they're going to discuss <laughs> your shoe fetish. Uh, well, when you get them at a discount, you know, it's, it's I nice it. to have, a, it, I have shoes that match every shirt in my <laughs> closet. I do. I have a color for every, uh, every polo, every t-shirt I can, <laughs> I can match, I can mix and match everything. I love it. That's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Number three. Uh, number three is a good attitude. Um, you know, I, I've been able to freelance locally in Portland for the better part of 20 years. And, uh, and so when you're at home, it's different than when you're on the road. And so sometimes you just, you know, you're dealing with your car broke down or your, you know, the babysitter called and couldn't come, you know, like you're dealing with life, right? Yep. But every day I would go out to, to do my job as a freelancer, I, as soon as I walked in the door, I set, I set this goal for myself that I would start the day with a good attitude. Um, and that it's always served me well um, to be able to flip the switch like that. Yep. No, matter, no matter what's going on, we really always need to have a good attitude. Um, because you know I've had situations where somebody walks in the first day and just like completely annihilates you about something that you had no control over or whatever. And, and it really sets a terrible tone 
for the rest of the gig and you yeah. just feel down and diminished or whatever in some way. Yep. So, so I'm all, I'm all about good attitude. I'm all about it, man. I love that. Um, well, speaking of good attitude, that helps to find you work. So as a freelance designer, how are you finding work? What are you doing to actively find work as we're coming out of this pandemic? Well, I've, uh, I've started this multi-level marketing uh, scheme and uh, it, it's going to take about 10 hours to, to talk about, but uh, <laughs> no, um, I have this really simple phrase that um, it works. Show face, get gig. I've, I've gotten more work because I've stayed present in people's minds. Yeah. Whether, whether it's reaching out on social media, whether it's a phone call, whether it's uh, sending an email, sending something silly, um, you know, I'll send a bottle of wine to a producer uh, that I haven't talked to in years because we live in Oregon. We've got great wine here. Yeah. Um, but even just walking down the halls of a venue because you're there, you know, you're there to see a show or something and just walking down the halls to say, Hey, uh, you know, you get, you get work, you get, you know, because people forget about you and it's not because they hate you. It's because they're so busy themselves that they, they forget. And, um, I, I was actually, uh, I, I really got into golf when my son was first born and I wanted to build a little cheapo golf simulator in my garage. And so I, I, uh, I called this AV company in town that I hadn't worked with in a number of years, um, but I'd seen one of their guys on a show site and said, hey, do you guys have some dusty old projector, you know, that, that's not making you guys any money, you know, that I could come by and they, yeah, yeah, come on down, just say hi. So I hadn't seen the owner for like 12, 12 years. Wow. And, and I walked in the door and he's like, hey, what's going on? Where have you been? You know, are you still at Hollywood? And I said, no, no, no. I've started my own thing. Oh, hey, we've got this show coming up and we need a lighting designer. And here I went. I was just going to go buy a $100 projector yeah. to hang from my garage. I showed my face. I got a gig. Yep. And it turned into this, you know, uh, resulted in several years of working with them until he sold his company. But um, it, you know, it's it's the Jay Leno story again. You know, show up, be yep. present, be in whatever that. whatever format that you have to. Just be present, and and the work will find you. Very cool. All right, now the question you preempted earlier: toughest job you've ever done? Uh, it was acquire the fire with you and Alex. <laughs> Dude, you know what? I could have totally imagined that right up front. I knew it. Um, no, actually that wasn't, that wasn't, I'm just, I'm totally teasing, but, but, um, one thing that I loved about Alex's, uh, in a podcast with you was the pizza to work ethic ratio. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's like, oh, somebody's got to do a study on that. I I totally agree with this. I think it's like (laughs) MIT needs to be called on this and we have to figure out how much pizza return on investment you get. Yes with work ethic that's that's absolutely brilliant um no the the worst one of the worst jobs i did um was a show where we received the booth drawing and we placed it in the venue drawing and i did my complete design was ready to send it to the riggers 
it went through actually like two or three versions before it was figured out that the rigging drawing was at a different scale than the oh the booth layout so all of the points everything we did and i'm you know i'm meticulous about trying to land on hard points uh in a in a venue like you know javits or one of those because you know those nodes are where they are and you can't yep. you know bridles are a nightmare you get lower trim things like that and so so basically it was like all that work that we had done to that point was null and void oh. and i had to i had to uh scramble like a madman to to make it right but um i definitely learned my lesson and so that's why my first call is to the rigger yep. <laughs> to make sure that his drawing matches my drawing, matches the venue drawing, matches the, the show management drawing. And so, uh, so we never have that, that issue For again. hundred percent. I've had a couple of different draw. I've had a couple of different times where I get a drawing and like we did this one where we had these geometric, not geometric. They were these big rectangles that were at different angles and like, like, horizontal widths away from each other and it was all supposed to fit into a certain space and like three days before we were supposed to get the final design i'm measuring everything and the numbers like are not adding up and finally i was able to call the designer and she was like and she's like no i'm telling you the numbers are right the number well it had turned out she had drawn it in the wrong the wrong scale and so it was off by like three feet and we had to figure out how to squeeze all this into this space to make it work and um, it was, I, I was so nerve wracking because I was so, I was, I was concerned as the technical director, crap, did we like totally misbid all of this stuff on size and spec? And thankfully we didn't, but um, it was a, it was a tough one. Um, so if somebody wants to become a designer, whether auto show, concert, corporate, lighting designer in general, um, what what should they be looking to do over the next couple of years to get themselves to that point? Um, be a sponge, you know, soak it all up, do every role you can possibly do. Um, I, I, uh, I took a lot of chances in, in my career. Um, you know, growing up in Southern California, there was a lot of opportunity. You had theme parks there, you had film and television there. And, um, you know, uh, making, making calculated choices that um, are in your best interests to get you to that goal. And I, I, I talked earlier about having a goal and being goal-driven. Well, I knew I wanted to be in this business at 15 years old. Um, you know, by my sophomore year, I was working professionally as a technician. And so oh. I, I never looked back from that. You know, I, I, I found the school I wanted to go to right away. Um, and I, I knew I could work in theaters in Southern California and uh, theme parks and stuff like that to, to get the experience I needed. But I was gonna go, no matter what, I was gonna go to college to get my, my degree and back myself up in case I wanted to teach or you know continue on and become a, I actually wanted to become a scenic designer. Um, oh. Uh, for a long time. And that's actually why my company's called More Than Light is that I, I, uh, I always look at the project as all, all departments, you know, um, audio, video, lighting, 
like we're all one team and and encompassing that in a unified vision of design and creativity is is absolutely key to to being great at what you want to do yeah um and um so you know just having having uh an idea of where you want to go but not being so stuck in your ways and not being flexible enough to try something new to fail to um to take those chances that will make you great down the road um you know i i literally i had the matrix day i had i had red pill blue pill uh blue pill being you know go about your daily routine you know work your nine to five or whatever or take the red pill go down the rabbit hole I, I had the opportunity to go work on cruise ships um, right after college and I took it and yeah. I took it, I took it in such a way that uh, I didn't know how life-changing it would be, but all of my relationships stem from that one decision. I mean, it was literally yeah. one phone call changed my life because I was on a ship three weeks later. Um, and uh, having, having the, the forethought to, to make really critical decisions and you don't even know you're doing it. Yep. Um, and, and having that goal helped me do that. That's awesome. So that's, I would say, have a goal. Yeah. Have a rough, have a good idea, write it down, figure out what yeah. it is and then figure out the steps of how to get there. Um, I was never a planner. I can say that I, in, in a lot of ways, I didn't, I intentionally ended up where I am, but it was all on accident. Um, you know, I had done a bunch of other things I'd wanted. I actually started in this industry because I wanted to be in the band and I wanted to be a drummer. And then I discovered I was good at some other stuff too. And, and um, I'm glad that I did. I wouldn't be where I am today if I had decided to go. And in fact, I turned down, I got offered the gig finally, like two or three years after I had wanted it. And um, I turned it down and I was like, no, that's not, it's not the right thing for me. And I'm glad I did. I would not be where I am today. Um, I wouldn't have the family I have, I don't think. And I wouldn't have the, the perspective and the, and the, um, the, just the blessings that I've been able to experience at this point. So, um, and then I would say that actually Mark Herring was kind of like that phone call for me um, after I met him on Kia dealers meeting back in 2012 um, the one call that he made asking me to be a TD out on Aramark, uh, completely changed the, the trajectory of where I took my life and, you know, eventually getting me out of touring, moving me into corporate, building a company, building a business, hiring employees, like all of that was a direct result of him taking that chance and saying, okay, I see something in this kid, um, eight years ago that, could be very beneficial to the rest of our industry going forward. And, um, you know, he, he's been a huge part of that. And I, I thank him on every opportunity that I can, because he took that chance. Mark, so. uh, Mark was actually one of the first TDs I worked with on auto shows. Uh, in my, he was on my second auto show, or sorry, third auto show doing Kia press. I, was oh, yeah. doing Kia, I did Kia press for 11 years. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, he was he was a big part of that for a long time. Very so, cool. so he and I have a, a great relationship. Well, we Stemming. can all blame Mark for all of our. All, <laughs> all of I'm kidding. Um, no, we, I, I love Mark. He, he's one of my favorite people in the world. 
Um, he's been exceptionally kind to me. He's been very forgiving when, you know, I've made mistakes and done stuff that I had to learn from. And uh, he's allowed me to grow into a, into a position where I, I'm, I'm, capable i'm able to do you know and go above and beyond the things i remember the first time he asked me to take lead on a big the biggest job i'd ever done actually for us foods back about five years ago and i i dude i was so nervous i was like oh crap because he couldn't help me he didn't have the bandwidth normally he would advance the job and i would come in and execute and that worked really really well and now all of a sudden he's like hey you're gonna do this whole thing um and actually it was when you and i were in hawaii about six years ago that we were just starting the ball rolling for that job and so i'm up at like four o'clock in the morning because everybody in chicago is at like 10 a.m. trying to get things and we're like on phone calls and everything else and I'm you know and just trying to figure it all out but um, if it wasn't for opportunities like that like you said you just say okay we're gonna do this we figured it out we executed it was an outstanding show that went so well um, you, you know that then brings us to the next step which then provides the next opportunity which helps you meet the next person which then puts you in the right position to get to the you know to move down the road where you want to go yeah and, um there's just there's always opportunity you just have to be looking for it and i think so many people get bogged down now like saying oh my gosh there's no opportunity there's nothing you know it's not happening there is stuff out there but you have to go find it you can't wait for yeah. it you can't wait for it to fall in your lap um, yeah. you know, people ask me, how did you get this? How did you figure this? How did you, I said, man, I just kept talking to people. I kept making phone calls. I kept sending emails. I you know, that fifth email that goes unanswered could, you know, it could be the sixth email that someone responds to because you dropped in their inbox at that one moment that they needed that one person to do that one thing that only you could do. And they grabbed you and they said, come do this. And then that leads to five years worth of stuff. Exactly. And, and those relationships that you make, it, you know, and uh, even just the little ones, the, the guy who's cleaning up the floor in the convention center at two in the morning while you're doing focus still, I struck up a conversation with a guy uh, who was doing just that while I was focusing. And we talked for maybe five, 10 minutes. You know, I introduced myself. Hi, I'm Joe Mack. Uh, about a year, maybe two years later, um, we got a call to do a show at that same convention center and uh had no idea why we got that call the guy who was cleaning the floor ended up being the assistant events manager at the convention center huh. and he remembered me and remembered the show that we did and what it looked like and he hired us for that gig wow. so those little those little moments with anybody can yep. be the difference between you getting food on your table or not yeah so always be nice, always be pleasant, you know, try, it's nice to be important. It's more important to be nice. You know, I've, I've lived by that for a long time and um, you know, everybody's important and, and that gets, that gets lost when you become a big, you know, a big dog, but yeah, man, dude, kindness goes so far. Um, you always attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And I, I have to regularly remind guys on cruise you know, that get a bat, you know, it's like guys through, Oh, we weren't hired to hang drape. Well, that's what we're doing today. So yeah, I appreciate the, I appreciate you letting me know that you weren't hired for it, but we're moving forward anyways. And if um, things are, you know, when the chips are down, man, I'll go grab a broom. I had yeah. a TD long time ago when I was in college, who said, if you don't know what to do, 
just go grab a broom and start sweeping the floor because it's always dirty. And so, so, you know, it's, it's a a great way to be. And then people realize that you're on the team you're doing your part, even if you're not supposed to be doing that. Yep. And they'll say, like, what are you doing? Get get back on the lighting cut so we have rehearsal. Well, I saw everybody else try to clean up. So I thought I'd help. Yeah, just jump in. That's right. <laughs> well, as we wrap up here, this exceptionally long, this we are we have now set a record for the longest episode ever. Yes. Um, Season two. I'm telling right. you, we're getting Woo! to the nitty-gritty. Right. Um <laughs> if if somebody wants to be, we're coming into Q2 soon, you know, two months away. We, as we said, it's going to be a fade. It's not going to be a switch. As soon as everybody feels safe, it's not like suddenly, you know, hotel ballrooms are now all of a sudden full and there's equipment. I mean, there's planning. There's, I mean, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a two to three month run up to any sort of like true serious work. What should they be doing? What should we be doing right now to be ready for that next gig, to be more gig ready at the next time we set foot in a ballroom, in an arena, on a field, in a festival, wherever? Um, What are two things we should be focusing on now? Well, first, um, listen to this program because I, I, you know, I've been in the business 20, this is my 29th year in the business. Um, And I've learned at least one thing from every guest you've had on your show. Awesome. At least one thing. So always be learning, always absorb what you're listening to, what you're seeing environment. You know, if go for a hike, see nature, it's inspirational. You know, you can take pictures, uh, read a book, listen to music. Yep. Um, the, those are the things that get lost. You don't have to always just know how to push the buttons. Sometimes you have to have that creative vision uh, to, to get what's, what's bothering you, what's fueling you. Um, I, I actually heard a great quote this week, uh, from Glenn Close and she says to create art, you have to have a sense of outrage about something and it fuels you. And it's so true. You know, you, especially this year, we have a lot of things to get out. You know, we're going to see a lot of great music come out of this. We're going to see a lot of great art come out of this. Um, and, and, uh, part of our job as designers is to create that and, and use, use your pain, use your love, use your excitement to, to fuel that, that vision. Um, uh, and, and you're going to produce amazing things. Yeah. That's awesome. And number two, um, <laughs> it was one thing was so good. Well, well, listening to this program was, was, was my oh, first thing. All right. I, I, I considered that. I thought <laughs> but, that was like, it's okay. Um, no, I, I have a plan, you know, get, get your plan in place, whether that means you're calling calling future clients, potential clients, um, past clients, uh, friends, colleagues, get on the horn, um, check in, check in with people. Uh, you know, I'm doing it on a daily basis, whether it's on Facebook, I'm just messaging somebody or, uh, an email or a phone call or a quick pat on the back show face, get gig. You know, that's, that's, 
that's what you need to be doing right now because when it's time to pull that trigger and again if we're aligning ourselves with other vendors and other teams and they get busy the first person they're going to call is you because you're top of mind yeah and Very so true. i think i think that's what we need to be doing is is kind of getting our game plan on how we're going to attack uh this tsunami of events that's going to hit us yeah it's a good it's it's giving me pause for thought i'm i'm you're right. I have to spend some time doing that and charting out what that, what is that going to look like? And then make a, you know, if it happens at this time, how are we going to satisfy, you know, all of this? Um, yeah. Cause demand will be great. And demand will be very great. Yeah. And, and there will not be enough people to fulfill it. And so how, no. do we, how do we execute on that? Um, get creative on how to, and in all of that, when there's not enough, when there's more work than anybody can handle, people try and take more work than they can handle. Right. And that's the other flip side of that is knowing your limits. And that's why you have a plan and you say, here's my plan. This is what we're going to stick by. And you stick to it because yeah. that if you don't, people get tired, people get hurt, people get, you know, th there are far reaching consequences from not following that. And now, of course, you reserve the right to change that plan at any time. And that's okay. Be but, flexible. But go in understanding this is what I believe I can handle. And then, you know, don't try and kill yourself because it's just not worth it. Um, no. You know, that we, we will get the money back. You know, you'll get the income back. You'll get, like, it will come. It's just, it's going to take time. And it sucks. Don't get me wrong. Do I wish this had never happened? Of course, just like everybody else. But we can get through it. We have to be patient and, and be strategic and, and we can recover faster from this than we did in 2008. I think that we just have to be ready for it. And uh, like, I, I think having a plan is a great idea. Um, it's something that I need to do too. So thanks for that reminder. Um, man, thanks so much. I appreciate it. This was really, really long. And if everybody made it to the end, thank you. You're awesome. <laughs> we love you. You're um, my best friend. Yes, exactly. Uh, please let us know what you thought, uh, you know, leave a comment, leave a review on iTunes. This show doesn't happen without you. I don't take advertisers. I'm not going to take advertisers. I don't want advertisers. We just want to help each and every one of you guys be better every single day, do better shows, do better things, create better magic. Um, so let us know, send us an email, uh, gig ready at gigrent.com. Tell us what you thought. Uh, tell your friends, share this, share it out, send it on the IG, on Facebook, on Twitter, however you share. Uh, we're, of course, on Spotify and on Stitcher and on every other um, iTunes podcast app. Um, and eventually we might even become podcast 2.0 compliant. We'll see what happens. But uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. Joe, thanks for being here. We really appreciate everything you do. Thank and you. I'm very humbled and honored to have been here. Thank you. Well, thanks, dude. I hope you have a great day and we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Thank you. Have a good one.